0: We are week one today, starting a brand new uh, series called, well, you see behind me called Being the Church. Liz Klingler right there, the artwork. Always, yeah, always looks incredible. Um, so let me, before we get to that, let me, let me just set up, especially if you're new here, I, I wanna give you just a little bit of an idea of, of who we are as the church, as Substance Church, when it comes to, when it comes to preaching. So what, what we're gonna learn in this series being the church is just what God has called the church to be, like all churches to be. And then we're going to dive into some really in the later weeks, more specifically some of the things that make Substance Church, Substance Church. Um, So what we typically do here at Substance is this thing called expository preaching. It's too fancy of a word for me too. Um, But what it means is that we go into texts of scripture, passages of scripture and we pull out, we exposit, we dig up what it is that the authors were writing to the people that they were writing to and then see how it applies to us today because we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God. So the writers that wrote scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit. These words were literally breathed into them by God to write so that when we read words in scripture, we're, we're literally reading the word of God. That's why it's called the word of God. So for us, the best way to get a sense of Scripture as a whole is to do expository preaching. And, and how that works itself up practically is we just go through books of the Bible. And by doing that, um, we get to hit the easier verses and we get to hit the harder verses. And we get to um, put ourselves into just kind of a flow to get a sense of what all of Scripture is saying to us from these particular passages. We just think that's the, the best way of getting a sense And a a good rhythm of um, going through the Bible and learning from God about his words to us. There's also uh, another kind of preaching called topical preaching. Um, And when you preach the way we do through books of the Bible, what you find is that not everything gets addressed. Um, So in other words, um, I remember, here's a good example of topical preaching is um, 20 years ago, we're almost 20 year anniversary of 9-11. I remember a lot of churches, they'd been, you know, if you were a church that was going through a book of the Bible, 9-11 happened. What a lot of pastors and churches did at that time is they paused for a few weeks and they put together some sermons on suffering and on grief because we were experiencing that as a nation. So um, even though expository preaching, going through verse by verse, through books of the Bible is our primary way of preaching – occasionally we want to break away from that and do what we're going to be doing the next six weeks, which is a a topical sermon. Now, when we say topical, um, there's two things that can come up with topical preaching, which is why we don't do it too often, is that we can just create topics and then we can go into God's word and just pick the verses that we want that fit the topic, right? And and again, you, you can do that, be faithful to God's word. I'm just not great at it, so we don't do it very often. Um, the other way to do topical preaching is to let God's word give you the topic or the theme that it's going after and then you preach from it topically from that, from that standpoint. That's a little bit of what we're going to try to do uh, over the next six weeks. So instead of just having one passage or two passages or a group of passages like we usually do um, to kind of camp out in. Um, we're we're going to have you, man, you're, gonna, you're really going to get busy over the next six weeks. You're going to be turning just to a lot of different passages. So we're really going to be taking a run through through God's word a little bit more than we usually do. Now, for those of you who were never asking any of the questions that I just explained, now you know. Um, that's a little bit of what we do. But I want to give you guys a little bit of an, of an overview, especially if you're new and you're, you're not familiar with the kind of preaching we do here um, at Substance. So go ahead and turn to Matthew Chapter 16. It's going to be the first of 97 passages that I have you turn to this morning. but I'm going to have you just go to Matthew 16 and just hold your place there. I was talking to a friend of mine a few days ago, and he told me he was a Cleveland Browns. He's a season ticket holder. So he's a guy that's been buying season tickets uh, for years, and um, he said it was interesting this year because uh, he got a call from the stadium. And the stadium wanted to make sure that he was good, that he was a happy ticket holder, that he was man. That you know, last season was a little f- funny with uh, you know games and, and you know the, the the crowds that they were able to let in the stadium. So it was it was a little dicey. They wanted to make sure that he was still a happy season ticket holder. He was still enjoying the games that he was able to come to. Um, they wanted to make sure he had everything he needed. They wanted to make sure whether he was going to come to all the games starting now, starting this year in 2021. Now this dude is, I mean, man, he's a fan. He is a Cleveland Browns fan. He's a season ticket holder. That's the kind of fan he is. Man, he wears, wears a Browns jersey, owns Browns memorabilia. All that's great, but you know what he isn't? A Cleveland Brown at the end of the day. And um, now I feel like this is gonna get back to him and I'm gonna lose my life for saying that somehow. Um, But this brings up an important question for us as we're kicking off this series. We talk about this idea of being the church, right? And it's this, is it enough to come to church? Is it enough to just enjoy the services? Is it enough to, on occasion, even like church people, and believe some of the things the preacher preaches on Sunday? Does that make a person a part of the church? So what we wanna answer this morning is this question. What if God has something else in mind entirely than those things I just laid out? What if entrance into his church, cause this ain't my church, this is his church. What if entrance into his church was less like paying your dues to be like a, a member at a golf club, right? But what if it was about those dues already being paid so that you have access to God? You have acceptance by God. And all of that is for the purpose of loving and worshiping him. All of that is for the purpose of loving your neighbors like yourself. All of that is for the purpose of expanding his kingdom. What if that was the big idea behind this thing that we do? called the church, and more specifically, being the church. So how do we understand, this is what we're going to drive at this morning, that first and foremost, being the church is being a worshiper. Before everything else, being the church, and what qualifies us to be a part of this church that Jesus is building is that we, you and me, we have to be worshipers of God. And so we're gonna unpack this three ways. The first way is this, Jesus Christ builds his church. Secondly, he does that by calling a diverse group of ransomed sinners. And thirdly, he calls that group of ransomed sinners to be people who love, serve, and worship him, all right? So the first thing we're gonna look at here is that Jesus Christ builds the church. You get to Matthew 16, I'm gonna hit verse 18. And this is Jesus speaking to Peter. We cannot unpack all these verses to the degree that we normally would. But this is Jesus saying, and I tell you, you are Peter. Changing his name from Cephas to Peter. And he said, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So first and foremost, before anything else, understanding that we are worshipers in terms of what it means to be the church. We have to understand that this church ain't ours. That it's Jesus Christ who builds his church. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians. You're gonna to wanna to just keep going right. You wanna to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. Because Jesus said he was going to build his church. And let's see what Paul says about what it means for Jesus to be actually not, not Ronnie Martin, but Jesus to be the lead pastor, the senior pastor, the lead shepherd of substance church. Ephesians 1 verse 23 tells us that he put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet. He gave him, this is God giving him head, as over all things to the church, which is his body. Jesus refers to the church, you and me, as his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then if we go to Ephesians 5, and you can just kind of glance over that, but we get this beautiful picture of marriage that Paul tells us is actually not just about marriage specifically, but it's to give us this really grand vision and view and picture of Christ's love for the church. And once again, Paul points out, he says, look, Christ is the head of the church. Christ loves the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Why? Because the church is Christ's body. So before we get anywhere else, we just, we got to get this, we got to get our heads wrapped around this idea that this church is the church that Jesus builds. We went through an entire series through Acts. I think we called it the church that Jesus builds. I should remember that we spent a year in that, in that book, right? Um, but this is the church that Jesus builds. We are that church substance church is the church that Jesus builds. This is not an institution made by human Hands. I had somebody, I remember it makes me so uncomfortable, but when somebody says, Oh, yeah, I told him I go to Ronnie's church, he goes, It's your church, right? I go, It's not. It's not. Don't put that on me, right? I had somebody the other day go, So, man, that must be so interesting that, like, man, you own that church building. I said, I do not own the church building. Well, it's your church, though, Ronnie. I said, It's not, though. It's not my church. I'm a member of this church, I'm a pastor of this church, but it's actually Jesus who is head over the church. Jesus is the one who builds the church. It belongs exclusively to Jesus Christ because he purchased it with his broken body and his shed blood on the cross. That's the gospel, that's what's so good. Boy, would you guys all be in trouble if that was put on me, right? And what this means for us practically is that the church is not something we go to Right, it's not something we construct. It's not something we can take ownership over as our own. I remember in the early days of substance, I would say this. I would throw this out because there was like thirty-five people, and I would say, um, "We don't go to church," and then everybody would say back to me, "We are the church." Um, I noticed you guys didn't take the bait right there. I appreciate that. <laughs> Been a little awkward, if we're being honest, but that's what we used to do because that was true for us, right? We, we wanted to make sure that as we were finding our feet, that we weren't thinking of church as being merely just this, this meeting place or this gathering place. We didn't want to be thinking wrongly of church because church is not really the place that we go to. We gather here, but the church is, is you. It's, it's me. It's what God is building. And it's not merely a space, which is important, but it's merely what God is building inside of our hearts that qualifies us to be part of his kingdom, right? We wanna make sure we have that right. We are the church that Jesus builds and Jesus builds his church exclusively with worshipers, with those who've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters. And so for this reason, the church, it's not just a rando idea. You know, it's not this arbitrary idea. Jesus builds it with people he chose. I don't know how that choosing process works, but that's what scripture tells us. He builds it with people he chose as ambassadors who represent and reflect new life, new identity, because they have been made into new creations, scripture tells us. So Jesus builds his church with worshipers because only worshipers can reflect the truth can reflect this truth and spread this life, love, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to the world. And here's the good news. I probably should have saved this to the end, but I'm too hyped. I don't want to save it to the end. Man, we can all be a part of this. You can all be a part of this. Well, I don't know if I've been chosen by God. I've heard that language that you guys use here. How do I know that? Give your heart to Jesus, submit your life to Him, ask for forgiveness then you'll know you've been chosen by him. I don't know how to figure all that out. Man, it's just what scripture tells us. The invitation is here, not to be a season ticket holder, not to be a fan, not to wear the substance hoodie, not to drink from the substance coffee mug, even though I enjoy both of those things. It's not to be a church attender, as Pastor Jeff tells us so often, but it's to be attended to by Jesus so that your identity before everything else in your life is I am a worshiper of him. Does that make sense? So Jesus builds his church and he does it secondly by calling a diverse group of ransomed sinners of all the people he could have chose just look next to you. He chose that person and then Hold a mirror up, because you're next, right? Turn to Romans chapter 1. Listen to the way Paul opens up his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read six or seven verses here. He calls a diverse group of ransom sinners. Paul says here, he goes... the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Listen to what he says here in 6, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. So Paul kind of announces who he is and what God has called him to do as an ambassador for Christ to the churches. And then he says this, this includes you. He's like, dude, this is not just me. It includes all of you who are called to do what? To belong. To belong to Jesus Christ. To Essentially, be the church. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 7. You're going to go all the way to the end. Don't go too far. You'll hit all the maps if you got one of those. Not a lot of fear that as a preacher, I'm going to take you into the map section very often. All right. Revelation 7. Verses 9 through 10, I'll start reading. He says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is describing the culmination of the church, that moment when we are finally gathered around Christ. People, a diverse people, all nations, tongues and tribes gathered around, being finally brought into glory to be able to enjoy the culmination of Christ's life, death and resurrection. All those who have received that, placed their trust in him. Man, it's gonna be a diverse group Man, right now, man, across the world, there are people gathering that are authentic followers of Jesus Christ in all kinds of different tongues, all made up of all kinds of different nations who speak all kinds of different languages. Right now, who are worshiping the same God, who are drawing from the same scriptures how to live life, lives of, of godliness before him. Let's turn to Mark 10. I told you I'm having you bounce around a lot. Let's go back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark 10, 45. Because you've been called and you're a diverse group, and we'll get into that in a minute. But you're not just a diverse group that's been called. Because Mark 10 tells us, for even the Son of Man, this is talking about Jesus, came not to be served but to serve and to do what it says, to give his life as a ransom for many. So to be part of the church, to be a worshiper means that you had a debt that has been paid by Jesus Christ. You've been ransomed, you owed something because of your sin before a holy God. Jesus comes down, he pays the price for that, he pays the ransom, he pays what you can't pay, He pays what I can't pay. And we receive that into our hearts and let it change us. We receive the truth of that. It's life-giving. It's dramatic. It's able to break us from all kinds of sin and ways of thinking and ways of behaving. Sometimes very slowly. But it's the power of God. It's the power of Jesus Christ who comes in. He paid that price and we've been ransomed. We've been free. You are not enslaved anymore. You are not in chains anymore. Let's bounce back this way. 1 Peter, chapter 2. That's what Peter says to, to tell us, to remind us, to to stake us in the ground by reminding us of who we are. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a reason why you had to be called out of darkness. It wasn't because you were born in marvelous light. It's because you were born and conceived in darkness. David tells us, in sin I was conceived in my mother's room. Nobody's born okay and then we go bad. No, 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 we're born bad and then God raises us up into new life. That's just important to understand that because we need to know that as Jesus builds his church, he does it by calling us a diverse group of ransomed people of ransomed brown fans, no, of ransomed sinners. Those are the people that he calls. So to become worshipers, Jesus had to call us. And not just us, but a diverse group Of people from all tongues, tribes, and nations to be his ragtag team of ransomed sinners. So, at substance, we want to constantly be preaching this truth because why? Well, because we have the tendency to to grow dull and grow numb to the magnificence of it. Man, you look to the left of you, look to the left of you right now. Let's make this awkward. Now, look to the right of you, and you can say, Jesus called these people. And boy, what a crew. I can see all of you right now. And boy, oh boy, you can all see me, right? There it is. And let me just say this, what we lack in ethnic diversity, and we lack a lot, okay? We make up for in so many other ways. Substance is a diverse group of ransom sinners. And by the way, this is your identity now. You've been called by Jesus. You've been redeemed from your sin by the body and blood of Christ. You've been ransomed. Your debt has been paid. You are free men. You are free women. You are free children. You are not identified anymore by your former ways. You're not who you were. God is changing you. He is sanctifying you. And the reason why you can be progressively changed and progressively sanctified is because you have been instantaneously saved from darkness. Paul tells us you don't have to turn there. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you a break here. First Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 12. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I'm gonna read a list here that Paul writes out, and this should cause us really to shrink back in sobriety and humility. All right? Do not be deceived, he said, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor Men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. All of those people I just listed exist here today. Because such were some of us. But, Paul says, you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You are now a diverse group of ransom sinners who are worshipers of Jesus and part of the church that he has built. And his call to us is to love, serve, and worship him. So to be the church means that first and foremost, let me repeat that, you're a diverse group of ransomed sinners. You've been called to love, serve, and worship the one who ransomed you. You know what that means? Let me tell you what that means. It means you go to work on Monday ready to love, serve, and worship the one who ransomed you. It means you go to Uniontown Brewery ready to love, serve, and worship the one who ransomed you. You are not who you used to be. Therefore, you don't love what you used to love. You don't serve what you used to serve. You don't worship what and who you used to worship. Do you do that perfectly? No, no, we're talking about a process. But you have the heart now inside of you to have those things not be what gives you your identity and tell you who you are. Because you are worshipers. You are a diverse group of ransom sinners. This actually brings us back to the Old Testament, to the nation of Israel. We read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, when God commands the Israelites, his chosen people, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God's commands aren't optional to us. They're not suggestions. I tell you to do something, it's a cute suggestion. God commands us to do something. It is for our life and our goodness and our welfare and our well-being. And then when we go to Exodus 20, we learn about these commandments that he gave the Israelites, of which 10 of them apply to us, right? It says, Exodus 23 tells us, you shall have no other gods before me. So to worship God means there's an exclusivity with that, right? It's not like the kind of friends that we have, right? We can have more than one friend. But the way we worship God is meant to bring us into more, we're we're to understand that the way we understand marriage in the sense that there is one person there. It's exclusive because it's a covenant and it's a commitment and it's supposed to be binding for us. Jesus builds the church. By calling a diverse group of ransom sinners who love, serve, and worship him exclusively. And here's how the values of Substance Church allow us to live that out. Because if you look on the back of a Substance t-shirt or or in in some of our print material or whatever we got these days, you're going to see that we are what? We're gospel-centered, relationally driven, and God-glorifying. So as worshipers, what does that mean? How do our values play into living these things out as worshipers of Jesus? Well, worshipers, this is really simple by the way, worshipers are gospel-centered people. To be a worshiper of God means that you're a gospel-centered person. You've been freed from being slaves of righteousness, from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. This is what it means. You see everything in your life as something, listen to this really carefully, that the gospel speaks into. You see your life in light of being a sinner saved by grace and you see other people as image bearers just like you of God who need the gospel just like you do. Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians need the gospel. I need the gospel just as much as you need the gospel. Everything is a gospel issue. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ speaks into our issues. It speaks into our troubles. It speaks into our fears. It speaks into our lifestyles because the gospel speaks into everything. Now let me just clarify that, okay? Because it doesn't mean that it simplifies complexities. It doesn't simplify complexities. It doesn't provide us with a spiritual band-aid to try and keep people dealing with their grief. It doesn't give us quick one-liners that we use to throw guilt and condemnation on the fire of someone in the throes of a sin that has been scraping at them for years, that has been really difficult. What being gospel-centered does do is remind us that Wherever you are, Jesus is inviting you to come to him, and he is gentle and lowly, and you will find hope in his name. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, and whatever you've done. Here's my question. Is the gospel good news for you today? That's an important question to have an answer for. Is the gospel good news for you today. Jesus Christ descending to earth, paying that ransom. Is that good news for you today? Secondly, worshipers are relationally driven people. Let me flesh that out. Jesus loves us, so we love the people that Jesus loves. I didn't say it wasn't hard. Jesus moves towards people. So as worshipers, we move towards people. Jesus stepped into people's messes, so as worshipers, we step into people's messes. Jesus had compassion on people, so as worshipers, we have compassion on people. Jesus listened to people, so as worshipers, we listen to people. He fed people, so as worshipers, we feed people. And you know what? Man, we've seen so many amazing examples of that happening at this church, being a relationally driven community, where you guys move in to uncomfortable spaces with people. You care about people. You sacrifice your time and your talent and your treasure for people. I hear stories all the time, constantly. Because that's what it means to be a worshiper. It means that you are relationally driven. Why? Because that reflects the Christ who is driven towards us relationally. And then finally, worshipers are God-glorifying people. Listen, our reason for existence, for being the church, is the glory of God. And when we pray to be gospel-centered and relationally driven, this, that line, giving glory to God, it, it stops being this sort of fancy church cliche. The glory of God is what puts us into the trenches of life, where we see everything in those trenches, listen, as an opportunity to make Jesus look big, There is nothing in your life in which Jesus can't be given glory, which is why God's glory changes everything you do in your life. You see every action you take, every word you speak, sorry, every move you make, every breath you take, whatever the song, right? As something that gives God glory. Like nothing is dismissed from that, right? So you don't diminish anything right? It's not just for today. It's not just for the Sunday gathering. Man, you eat your food to the glory of God because it's delicious. You do your work to the glory of God because, man, it is serving something. It is creating something. It is building something. It is making something. You love your families and neighbors to the glory of God. You grieve heavily in your heartache to the glory of God. You give generously to the church and to those in need for the glory of God. You pause to take joy in the beauty of the fall leaves that are coming, the winter snow that is on its way here in a few months, the golden sunsets that we're going to experience over the next few months. When you take in that beauty and you acknowledge God as creator over it, that gives him glory and it produces satisfaction in your heart. Everything we do can be the occasion to give God glory. You've heard this line, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper changed this line. He said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. If you're John Piper, you get to change the Westminster Catechism and it's okay, I guess. I don't feel good about doing that, I'm not at that level. Both things are true, but that's what we are and who we are and our object as the church. So this is why we are worshipers or else we are not the church that Jesus is building. We are the YMCA, we are the Ashland Golf Club We are the Salvation Army. We are the staff at South Street Grill, right? All good, worthy things that I just listed, but not the church. That's why if you're a member of Substance Church, the first requirement is this. Are you saved? Are you a worshiper of God? Are you a ransom sinner who has been called to love, serve, and worship the Lord? If our member role is not made up of worshipers, we're not a church. And by the way, if this is not you, you can become a worshiper today by receiving the grace and mercy of Christ in your life. If you are a worshiper, worship, be who you are. Be the church that Jesus has built with you a diverse group of ransomed sinners who love, serve, and worship him because only worshipers, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 3, get to behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image of him from one degree of glory to another. And that is the best news that you are going to hear all day today is that as a worshiper of God, what he does is he conforms you daily by the minute, by the hour, by the day, by the week, by the month into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not static, this faith. God is changing you. And even in those valleys that you've been lodged in for what seems like an eternity, in those moments of dullness, when you feel like your life is just flatline, you're not going anywhere, you don't know what you don't know is what we say here. And you don't know what God is doing in those moments, but you know that because he's God, he is doing something in those moments. And what he's doing is he's making us worshipers of his son so that we can be a church that reflects the grace, mercy, and goodness of his son. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being your church. We recognize the messiness of this. We thank you for your patience. Boy, you called a ragtag group of disciples and when we look around at each other, we go, I guess the pattern has, you've kept that pattern in place. So Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you choose us you ransom us. You call us to love and serve and worship you. And yet you're changing us in the midst of that. You're increasing our faith. You're allowing us to go through trials and to see things that are painful and experience things that are hard so that we are people who are daily relying on you more fully. And we're becoming more like Jesus, more gentle and lowly and humble. Lord, I pray for this church, a church that is being and becoming the church. Lord, I pray this morning that you would humble us in these ways, or that you would draw us near to you and draw us near to one another so that we can all benefit from our position as ransom sinners. And Lord, for those who have not had that identity come over them yet as ransom sinners, I pray that they would today this day of salvation, commit their lives to you, repent of their sins, and be drawn into this church family so that they can become imperfect worshipers with us. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.